Hey everybody, happy Easter. My name is Jake, my beautiful wife Nicole and I have the great privilege of leading C3 Los Angeles, wonderful church uh, right here in LA. And we are so thrilled that you are joining us today for this Easter Sunday. Nothing can stop us from getting together. Even if we have to do so digitally, it's an awesome thing to still be able to come together like this. I wanna encourage you, um, if you're joining us live, hey, participate in the chat. And uh, let's be the community of faith that we are right now, encouraging one another, building one another up. Such an awesome thing to be able to keep coming around the Word of God together as well. And I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew and uh, chapter 27. And we're going to pick it up in verse 57. Just a little bit of context before we begin reading. Uh, we're picking up in a passage where uh, Jesus is already on the cross. He's already laying his life down, paying for the sins of humanity. We're getting towards the end of his time on the cross. And it says in verse 57, Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which, had, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember while he, Jesus, was still alive, how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way and make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. I want to read just two other verses to you in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Jesus speaking here says, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. I want to preach to you a message today called Don't Stop at the Cross. There are many things that can be said about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But the one thing that I want to bring to the forefront of our focus today is the authority that Jesus possessed during that three-day period. Throughout his death, his burial, and his resurrection, even when it looked like the fate of Jesus was in other people's hands, the reality is that the authority over the situation was his the entire time. And the implications of that truth on our life are massive. It impacts the way that we walk through everything in life, and it should be such a great source of courage and hope for us. The basis of that truth is found in what Jesus said in John 10, verses 17 and 18, that I lay down my life of my own accord. No one takes it from me. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. Now, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and there are multiple words in Greek that are translated into our English word power. But power is used here in the sense of authority and control. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is, I lay my life down by my own authority, and I pick my life back up by my own authority. I'm in control the entire time. And I just want us to pause and reflect upon something that is truly life-changing right here. That since Jesus had authority 
while he was being violently mistreated and ultimately crucified, that means that his death was his choice. At no point was Jesus going through with something that he himself had not decided to do. In fact, one of the things that uh, the people shouted at Jesus while he was hanging on the cross was, save yourself, come down from that cross if you are the Christ. And the fact is that Jesus could have if Jesus wanted to. At one word, an army of angels would have come to his aid, but it was his choice to be there in the first place. Why? Because he loves the world. Jesus loves the people who put him up on the cross, both those who did it directly and those who did it indirectly. And that is the life-changing power of understanding that it was his authority that placed him on the cross in the first place. It makes us come to terms with the infinite depth of love that he has for humanity. Now we can talk about all the reasons why Jesus had to go to the cross, why he had to die. But to jump into, the, into that conversation too quickly would, would almost make us miss the overwhelming nature of the whole thing, which is his love. The theology behind why Jesus went to the cross and what he accomplished through the cross is vitally important, but it stems from the most important thing that his love chose the cross and the suffering that comes with it. His love chose a necessary and excruciatingly painful path for you and I. Come face to face with that level of love and it will change your life. And then begin to ponder that that love lives inside somebody who possesses all authority. That's what I really want to help us to understand today. Because when you understand that Jesus possesses all authority, even in the midst of chaotic circumstances, even in what seem like losing battles, when you still understand that Jesus has all authority, it gives you an unshakable faith for the future. And I'm pretty certain that I speak for all of us right now when I say we need an unshakable faith for the future. And you know what? The world needs us to have that unshakable faith as well. And that faith comes from understanding that Jesus possesses all of the authority no matter what your circumstances look like, no matter what they look like. Because you know, sometimes our circumstances don't look like Jesus is in control. When I read this account in Matthew, I see the authority of God being outworked, which ultimately was victorious but I also see the attempts of Satan to exercise authority as well. And that's a really important distinction for those of us who live in light of the resurrection. God has authority, Satan has attempts. He has no actual authority. He tries to make his attempts look authoritative so that we will succumb to fear and lose hope. But if we remember that Jesus possesses all of the authority, then we will keep hoping and keep believing in the midst of all difficulty. In this account, we see the authority of God being outworked and we see the attempt of Satan being outworked. There are two parties who come to Pilate, the Roman governor, seeking his permission for something specific. First, you have Joseph, who was a secret disciple of Jesus, and then you have the Pharisees, who were the relig religious leaders that despised Jesus. Joseph is outworking the authority of God. The Pharisees are outworking the attempt of Satan. But you know what's so fascinating to me as God uses Joseph to carry his plan forward, it seems like somebody else has the control. Because Joseph had to go to Pilate and ask his permission to retrieve the body of Jesus down from the cross, which naturally speaking 
would mean that Pilate had the power. But the reality is that God knew every single detail, every iota of the crucifixion before it even took place, which means that God ensured that every single piece was in its place in order that His plan would come to pass, in order that resurrection would happen. You see, Joseph was a wealthy man, and the access that he had to Pilate was unprecedented. It was, it was rare. The fact that he could even come to Pilate and make this request in the first place was remarkable. The fact that somebody like him was a follower of Jesus was incredible. But for God, it was all just a part of the plan. His attention to detail is unmatched. His timing is always perfect. You see, Joseph up until this moment had been a secret follower of Jesus. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the governing body of Jewish leaders who were ultimately responsible for the crucifixion of Christ. And had they known about Joseph's love for Jesus, it would have cost Joseph everything. So he kept it to himself. He kept it a secret, but not anymore. At this moment, the disciple who had once been distant came close, while all of the disciples who were usually close were very distant. And the reason Joseph did that, felt like he could, is undoubtedly because of Jesus always striking a perfect balance, a perfect harmony of unapologetically calling people to forsake everything and follow him, but never condemning them when they hesitated to do so. Because Jesus knew that the right moment would always come when those people would realize just what level of sacrifice he was worth. And that moment for Joseph was right here, right now. It was like a revelation he realized that even as a dead man, Jesus is worth my reputation. He is worth my livelihood. He is worth my credibility. And his choice to be brave, to come out of secrecy, inspired another secret disciple to come out of hiding as well. Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, and he once met with Jesus under the cover of night in John chapter 3. He joins with Joseph the other gospel accounts tell us he joins with Joseph in this moment and together they take down the broken body of Jesus from the cross and lay Jesus in Joseph's own personal tomb. Their faith may have been buried up until this point, but it came breaking through the surface at exactly the right time. I want you to listen to me really carefully. It might look like your life is completely without hope in this moment, but God in his authority is able to cause the right seed to sprout forth with life at the right time in order to make resurrection happen for you. It does not matter who it looks like has the control. God has the authority and he can make the right seed bud with life at the right time. He can make sure that all the pieces are in the right place in order that resurrection would happen. God always preserves what is necessary for resurrection even in the greatest tragedies of our life. He's able to do that for you. God wants to do that for you. And you and I have to remember that when it seems like other forces, other people are calling the shots. That's the way this circumstance would have looked like. The Pharisees, they come to Pilate and they have their own request. They ask his permission to, to make the tomb where Jesus was laid sealed shut. They ask him for a group of Roman soldiers, a guard. That's what a guard was. It was a, group in Ro a group of Roman soldiers. They, would, they were directed to stand outside the tomb of Jesus for three days. The reason the Pharisees came up with that plan is because they remembered 
that Jesus had prophesied that he was going to die and he was going to rise again on the third day. So they wanted to take every preventative measure to make it impossible for the disciples to stage the resurrection of Jesus. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but I just want to draw your attention uh, to the fact that, uh, ironically, the amount of effort the Pharisees went to to make it impossible to stage Jesus' resurrection just made his actual resurrection all the more undeniable when the tomb was empty and there wasn't a body to be found anywhere. But just back up for a second and consider what the enemy, what Satan was attempting to do through the Pharisees and through Pilate. They had sealed the tomb of Jesus shut. What they would do is they would take a soft substance like a clay and they would apply it around the edge of the stone that was covering the tomb and then they would stamp that clay with a Roman signet, then they would attach a rope to the outside of the stone, and all of that was to communicate Roman authority. And that's exactly like Satan's attempts to keep us buried, to keep us down. First of all, he tells us that we deserve what it is that we're going through, that our suffering is some kind of punishment for our sin or something that we've done wrong. He tells us that there's no coming back from this one. He takes the stone of our sin or the stone of our mistakes or our hardships and he applies the, the, the clay of his lies to the outer edge of that stone to make us think that it is immovable. But guess what? It's just clay. It is completely powerless, completely incapable of holding down those whom God has already called to rise up. You see, the devil calls permanent what God calls preparation. He tries to think, make you think that your current condition is permanent. There's no coming back. But in actuality, God always preserves what is necessary for resurrection. God always is thinking 50 steps ahead. He always has the perfect plan. He always makes sure that everything that is needed for resurrection is in place. It's all just preparation for God to bring new life into your world again. It's just a matter of believing the truth, of returning to the scriptures, going back to God's word, because God's word always dismisses the lies of the devil. I want to make sure that you, today, you're continuing to believe the truth so that the lies that the enemy is telling you about the trajectory of your life, those are being dismissed. Believing the truth is so important. Which brings me back to the role or the lack thereof of the disciples throughout this whole ordeal. What's so fascinating to me about the plan of the, uh, the, plan of the Pharisees excuse me, is, um, is that they had sealed the tomb shut, they had set the guards in place, and they did all of this uh, to make it impossible to stage a resurrection. And that plan was completely predicated upon their belief that the disciples were thinking about resurrection. But they weren't. The disciples, in fact, were in hiding. They were afraid for their lives. They were deeply distressed and depressed. They are still trying to comprehend the crucifixion of their leader and their friend. They're not thinking about resurrection whatsoever. Jesus had told them multiple times, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again, but they just couldn't grasp it. Everything just seemed so impossible. So resurrection was the furthest thing from their minds which means that the enemy was taking into account the plan of Jesus more than his own disciples were. You see, this is why Christians so often live in unnecessary defeat. Defeated in our self-image, defeated in our thoughts about the future, defeated in our expectations and our hopes. It's because we are still caught up in a crucified Christ 
rather than a resurrected king. And don't hear me wrong. The cross is the most beautiful, matchless display of love that the world will ever know, but it is not the destination. We read it in Jesus' own words that I lay down my life. Why? That I may take it up again. In order to take it up again, the resurrection is the point. The resurrection is the destination. Too many Christians are stuck in Friday and Jesus is calling them over to Sunday. And what the enemy wants to do is keep you and I living ignorant of the power of the resurrection in our own life because he knows that the resurrection means his end and our new beginning time and time again. Again, God's grace, God's power is that good. Do not allow the enemy to live with a greater awareness of the resurrection than you yourself live with. That's how he wants you to live. Don't allow him to do that. Return to the word of God. Allow the power of the resurrection to shape the way that you think. It does not matter how tightly sealed the tomb seems. It does not matter how dark the darkness is that is covering you right now. It doesn't matter if it seems impossible for God to pull you out of that darkness, to pull you out of that tomb. It is not impossible, and he will do it for you. It seemed impossible to the disciples that Jesus would be resurrected from the dead. That's why they weren't even considering it, but God did it anyway, because it was his plan, his power, and his love. It wasn't dependent upon their faith. It wasn't dependent upon their belief. It was just God's plan. And I want to prophesy to you right now that God is going to do the same thing in your life. There are things that you are not even considering right now just because they seem so impossible. Can't be done. I'm telling you, God is going to apply the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to your life. And he's going to cause things to rise again in your world that you are convinced are dead for good. They are not in the name of Jesus. Resurrection power applies to you. Jesus is alive And that means that there is life for you in the midst of whatever brokenness you might be facing at this moment, at this season of your life. I want to conclude today by giving us kind of two calls to action. The first call is based around just how inspired I am by Joseph's story. That he lived all that time in secrecy because he was so afraid of what he would lose if he allowed himself to be publicly identified with Jesus. But then there was that moment where the light bulb went on and he realized just what, just what level of dedication and sacrifice Jesus was worthy of. And I believe that there are many of us who are watching this today and you need to make that same choice to come out of secrecy. Come out of secrecy. And just like Joseph's choice gave Nicodemus the bravery that he needed, so also will your choice give other people the bravery that they need to live out in the open for Jesus. I want to call you out of secrecy right now in this moment. If you want this moment to be a marker in time for you, if you want this to be significant, and I would love for you just right where you're at, if you're watching this live, just type the word Jesus right there into the chat. Just make a public declaration of your love, of your commitment to Christ. Why don't you just do that right now? Thanking God for every single one of you who are going public with your faith and just so grateful for what God is doing in, in your life. The other call to action that I want to give is for those of you who, who need to give your life to Christ. You need to enter into a relationship with Him. The most important thing about every single one of us is our relationship with Jesus. Nothing matters more than that. And when Jesus invites us to follow Him, that's exactly what He's inviting us into, is relationships, not religion. It's not some ambiguous spirituality. It's a real, vibrant, concrete relationship with the God who knows you and the God who loves you. Do you have that relationship with Jesus? 
I would love for today to be the day that you begin that relationship. The scriptures say in the New Testament that today is the day of salvation. That means every single day is the opportunity to draw near to him. I love what the Bible says. It says, become a friend of God's. He's already a friend of yours. Why don't you do that right here, right now? I'm going to pray for you. And as I'm praying for you, I would love for you to respond. Give your life to Christ right now in this moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every single person who is watching this. I thank you for what you're doing on the inside of our hearts, that those of us who are hopeless right now are beginning to experience hope rise again as we, as we witness to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our own lives. I thank you, Lord, that people are yielding to you right now and they're receiving your love and, and your salvation. If you're doing that right now in this moment, we'd love for you just to pray this next part with me. Just say out loud right where you are. Say this next part with me. Say, Father in heaven, thank you that today is a brand new day and I'm a new creation because I receive the free gift of your love, your grace, and your salvation. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place, for rising again and giving me life. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Incredible. So proud of every single one of you guys, those of you who responded to that first call, those of you who responded to that call just now, so proud of you and just so grateful for what God is doing in our church right in the midst of this season that we're moving forward. Come on, we don't feel stagnant. We don't feel stuck. The glory of God is still on the move and God is still building His church. And myself and Nicole, my wife, we're just so proud of every single one of you, so grateful to be a part of this great move of God in Los Angeles. I want you to stay connected with us throughout the week. We're going to be on Instagram a lot, making sure that we're keeping you informed of all the things that are going on, all the prayer meetings that we're having, all digital, of course. And we'll see you right back here as well next Sunday for Church Online. God bless you guys.